Hi, I'm Jim. And I'm David. And this is the Practical Guitarist Podcast. The podcast for people who eat, sleep, and breathe guitar. Hi, I'm David. I'm Jim. And joining us today is... Nick Bongers from Great Lakes Guitar Pickups. Yes. Uh, so we brought in a heavy, a heavy hitter for this episode. Yes. Uh, oh. Let's let's get right into it, Jim. Well, no, no. I got to do the housekeeping first, right? So, yes. are you a regular listener? Why not? Subscribe to the Practical Guitarist using your chosen podcast app. Take the time to put an interview with service where you found our podcast, like iTunes, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, or Google Play. Get involved. Find our Facebook group at facebook.com slash group slash Practical Guitarist. You can also find us on Twitter as at Practical Guitarist. If you're interested in supporting the show, we have launched a Threadless store at practicalguitaristpodcast.threadless.com. If you'd like to donate money to the show, there's always Patreon. Our Patreon is available at patreon.com slash Practical Guitarist. And if you'd like to reach out to us directly, you can do so at questions at practicalguitarist.com. And we'd like to um, thank our newest Patreon supporter. Yes. Uh, that would be Carlos Mancha, I think. Yes. Uh, I reached oh. out to him personally today. Thank you, Carlos, for your support of the show. Yes. So, our first discussion topic of the evening, and part of the reason why we've invited Nick on, also uh, also because, Nick, you make a great product. Um, thank you. But we're talking about pickups tonight. Right, right, Jim. Do do you do you want to absolutely wanna take us in? Yeah. So um, I'm going to read the uh, post. So uh, Dan Kish said, "Changing your pickups is not necessary to achieve killer tone. Pickups are such a small piece of the tone pie. Make a minute difference. I can talk crap pickups, take crap pickups, and make them sound amazing with a little effort. Take killer pickups and get the same sound." <clears throat> <coughs> I know this will set off at least one of you, and <laughs> we're looking forward to some pushback. Trying to change my mind, and then he showed a vi- he shared a video on the Facebook group um, from a guy named Fluffy, right? No, it's just Fluff. Um, Fluff, okay, Fluff, and Fluff um, uh, said that the same thing, um, and so let's get right into it. Yeah, um, just to start us off here, I have glorious pickups several of my guitars, uh, one of which were provided by Bongers. Staring at this beautiful SG that you guys can't see right on the wall next to me. Um, and I'll have to say um, I've been a pickup guy for a while, uh, but it's mostly because I feel like it changes the feel of the guitar. Not so much the tone, right? Guys? Yeah, if I had... Uh... 15 seconds in an elevator with that person who posted that, <laughs> I would say if you have that opinion, it's because you've never had a set of good pickups. It- um, and if you, if you go back in time, the originals, the people that inspired rock and roll, all they had was a guitar with a cable that plugged into an amp and they sounded awesome. So the moment you need more pedals, the moment you need more processors, the more you need all that crap, you're just muddying up the water. So that's just my opinion. More more good pickups for us if if that's the way that uh, he wants to go. Well, and so I I've seen this attitude come across and like just like he showed this video from Fluff and I've seen other people make these kind of comments before. Look, I I understand completely where he's coming from. If you're doing the modern guitar thing, right? Like let's say you're playing Gojira or something like that. 
you got a seven string guitar and you've got, you know, every rack effects processor in the world in the studio that you're using to make these tones and your 5153 with, you know, the, your thousand uh, dollar cabinet and all that stuff. Like you've added so many other pieces to the puzzle and the element um, that we're not talking about guitar straight into the amp anymore. And if you're going, the more simple the rig is, the more each of the, t- the tiny infinitesimal components matter. Case in point, I'm going to hold up something that makes a big difference if you're going guitar to just guitar direct in, right? And I'm holding a pick in my hand for for those of you that are following the the podcast audio. Um, I I I have done and I and I have I think I have an audio clip somewhere on my computer where I actually took like 15 picks and I dropped them all on the table and I recorded what the sounds are like and then I played them with a the guitar and you could hear the differences in each one and the the only way you're going to hear that is if you're plugging direct in, if you're going straight in. And so what I did, instead of running through an amp, I put my guitar cable directly into my uh, my interface, and you could hear it. It was obvious. Now, your amp, compression, saturation, all of those things affect it. And I think the closer you get back to that master volume goodness is, you know, where you have no master volume. You just got one volume knob, and that gives you your gain and everything. The closer you get to that, the more it's going to matter. Yeah, it, it's like if you're worried about skin health, but you're always wearing a mask over your face. Yeah. It really doesn't matter how nice your face look if you're if you're always wearing a mask. So you could have nice pickups or bad pickups, but if you're always gonna if you're always gonna lump a bunch of junk on top of it, it's gonna take away that effect. So I guess in some ways that post was was on point if that's what he sounds like. Well, so right. I, I, I Dan is a Dan is actually a friend of mine. Um, we get together and we jam every once in a while. And uh, I, I get what he's saying. Like, I, I played with him. I know how he plays. Um, and he's absolutely right when it comes to him. And, and I completely agree with him, and I understand where he's coming from. But that same realization doesn't apply to everyone in the sense that there are guys out there that are trying to do it old school. Like, you do a Kiss tribute act, and I'm sure you're trying to get close to those sounds. And you're not going to do that by saying, okay, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get out my Line 6 Helix, you know. And stick that on the floor and hope for the best. You know, it's just not it's not the same thing. Yeah, and the pickups are different as guitars. There's millions and millions and millions out there. And what really matters is what you hear what you want to hear. So if if somebody hears something different than you, then that's one thing. But you know, if if the Seymour Duncan Pearly Gates pickup was the the best pickup in the world, maybe that that would be the only pickup that existed. But we all know that Pickups have different personalities, yeah. and guitars have different personalities. Yeah, it's different shades. And, and absolutely, part of what I, I, I just want to say, oh, yeah. I just want to say this. So a while back, I put up a um, a thing where I I uh, made a video of four Les Paul style guitars. Um, one was a uh, an older Les Paul custom. Another was my Gold Top tribute. Another was an Epiphone high end Epiphone custom, and the last one was my Paul Reed Smith single cut. And I can tell you right now, all four of them clean through a um, straight-in cable, guitar cable, um, into the front end of my Lone Star, Mesa Boogie Lone Star. Um, you could tell the difference in every single one of them. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I am not Mr. Um, I can hide the way my tone sounds. And you could hear it whether you were in the room or even if you were listening through a, a phone that was recording it. It just... It's just the way it is. I I cannot say enough that says that, yes, you can sit there and you can um, pick and choose, but if you're going to saturate your tone, but if you're going to 
saturate everything you do. And I'm not, I'm not putting that down. There's a style of music that there, there are styles yeah, of music it, that, it, has that requires that. it. Yeah. Right. Then, mm-hmm. yeah, I get it. I get when somebody says, yeah, I do this down-tuned heavy metal, you know, sludge sound, and uh, Epiphone sounds great to me. Yeah, because you don't need the articulation. I can take the best Epiphone, and I can take the the least expensive Gibson, put them side by side. You play me those pickups, if they are stock, i tell you the difference. I'll tell you which one's an Epiphone any day of the week. Yeah, I mean, I don't don't walk out my front door with a Band-Aid on my arm unless my arm is bleeding. So (laughs) when I take that analogy to guitars... I want to start pristine. I want to start virgin purity. I want a clean tone that sounds good. And after I have that, I can do anything. I don't want to start dirty. I don't want to start chunky. I don't want to start all that stuff. I want to start pure and pristine. And then, and then I can take it any direction from there. So maybe people are starting from this from the, from different spots too. Yeah. There's nobody that are YouTube channels that do that. I mean, I've never heard of a YouTube channel where all of their, um, Demos sound like dirt and sludge. Have you, David? Um, <laughs> the Tone King. <laughs> I yes, I, I was. I, my mind was immediately jumping to a certain person that I that I've decided I'm not going to talk about anymore. Um, my therapist thinks it's a good idea that I not talk about the Tone King. Uh, I, I said a name out loud. Oh crap. Um, Listen, when I got your pickups in my SD the first time, and I got it, and I got it from the uh, the guitar uh, from the the guys that do my work, and I I sat down. The first thing I did, I put it on a clean channel. This is the first yeah. thing I did because I'm like uh, epiphany. Yeah, no, I like knew immediately. I was like, if it doesn't have it in the clean, then I'm not going to be happy like that. And and uh, again, right. my SG, I use it for different reasons than a lot of people. The guy that inspired me to get an SG was um, Robbie Krieger of the Doors. So. For me, like that's a whole other world than what mo- why most people buy an SG. You know, they're getting they're getting into yeah, ACDC or whatever. And well, I'm going to say this, I, and I've said it before. I got I got mine because I am a huge Angus Young fan, and Angus Young has one of the cleanest tones you'd know in in um, rock like that. It, you'd be surprised, you'd be shocked and amazed at how clean well, his tone is. Well, I sh- I shared um I shared that darkness video the other day, the the darkness live in the group, and it, and if um. It's some festival in Britain, but all right. So Justin Hawkins, a singer, he has Les Paul Customs. He plays through. Uh, it's a very expensive high end uh, wizard. Uh, okay. Okay. And then I've seen those. His brother uh, Dan Hawkins plays through Plexis, right? And he's got hundreds of them at this point, probably. Um, but he's got he's got a Marshall Plexi that he that he prefers, and he's using it in that in that video. You can hear it. And it's not dirty at all. I mean, it's almost it's almost clean. And when you hear that, that's the sound of rock and roll. They compressed that stuff and they ran it into tape hard to get those sounds to what they were. But if you heard those guys live, it was clean. It was not yeah. as dirty as people think it was. And they probably plugged straight into the amp, and they probably rolled their their volume control off ten. They probably cut it on like two or three. Mm-hmm. And then when they want that dirt, they roll it up to seven. And when they're doing a solo, they roll it up to ten. And then back to clean, they roll it back down to two or three. So my thing is, and and Jim knows this. I'm I'm a fuzz face guy, right? So absolutely, pickups make a massive difference with fuzz faces. And that's that's one of the, the you know you're not going direct to amp, but but if you have pickups that are too hot or too quiet. They're not going to react right with the pedal. Yeah. So, Jim, you got something? You you, you have this look on your face. 
Yeah, something. No, I just said uh, um, I was just nodding in agreement. I All mean, right. the thing that the thing that a lot of people miss, and it's because we've talked about this before too. When you're listening to it through the wrong um, audio, and I and I say the wrong, and as in as in a, a relatively inexpensive audio, like your your earbuds, and you've got a lot of background noise and everything, you're thinking, "Wow, this is this distorted t- tone ju- sounds just like." whether it's Doobie Brothers or it's right, whatever, right, right. but it doesn't because I know, you know, you look, you look at the Doobie Brothers now, they're, they're playing um, relatively straight into the amp. They don't use a lot of overdrive. Right. And even some of our most favorite um, uh, highly, uh, uh, I would say distorted sounds, Stevie Ray Vaughan really, I mean, it look at what he was bad. playing. It for. wasn't that bad. No. A lot of it, it actually, was, in, in some of those cases, it's even mic distortion and, you know, they're clipping the inputs on the board in, in some cases. Um, I personally, you know, looking looking at that, that thread and, and how it all panned out, I think we really need to highlight what uh, Jason Fuzzmonger brought to the table when he mentioned that, you know, you watched Fluff, and there are other YouTubers, in fact, you mentioned uh, Ola England, um, who do these videos, and their sounds, even though they are using different amps, they're trying to make them kind of sound similar. And so they're using compression and EQ and things on the back end to do that. Um, and that's, I'm not, I, I don't want to overgeneralize, but that's kind of the impression I've gotten with several of these guys, like, like Scallon and, and um, uh, yep. Bluff. And I'm not trying, I'm not trying to say you shouldn't do that. You shouldn't try to achieve that, but, but you can. Yeah, but they, that doesn't really show the total right. palette. Then of, you shouldn't be doing it the, as a review. That, yeah. So, so, my approach is a little bit more reactive to what people like. Mm-hmm. So I want to execute what somebody wants to hear in their head based off of what they have. So let's say that somebody has a Fender Hot Rod Deluxe. We all know those are super bright amps, right? Mm-hmm. But the person that plays it is playing a hardtail strat. Right. He doesn't want to put in humbuckers. He doesn't want to put in the rail pickups. Right. He wants it to sound like a strat. So I looked up what the original patent looks like for Fender Stratocaster pickups. They're not what you get in the actual, even American Strats. How many, the how original, many wines? <laughs> the, the original patent had a metal base plate underneath every single pickup, just like a Telecaster bridge pickup. Right, right. And they thought that it rounded out the single coil sound and made it less shrill but they ended up not implementing that when it went to production because it cost more money. So what I did was I made three single coil pickups. I soldered a base plate to all of them and I tried them through a hot rod deluxe. And guess what? It's not as bright of an amp. So mm-hmm. if when somebody comes to me and says they want a set of pickups, I don't say, Ooh, you want the jaw dropper or you want the zombifier pickup? <laughs> no, it's all right, dude, what kind of guitar do you have? Does it sound good when it's acoustic? If it doesn't, you know, if it needs more high end, if it needs, needs more low end, we'll throw in an Elnico 5. If it sounds like the bells of fucking Ireland, we'll put in an Elnico 4. We'll get a flat EQ response. If you're playing it through a bright amp, we'll we'll put more or less windings on. But we'll cater the pickups to what you want to hear. So right. there's no brand name. There's no marketing. If it sounds good, it doesn't need that shit. Yeah. I And I, I the proof is in the pudding. I have... Uh... I have a set of pick uh, those pickups in my SG, and I have a set of those pickups on the way for my for my Les Paul. And uh, this is it's funny you're talking about the uh, those pickups. This is an S500. Um, this was a late model GNL design. 
Um, the risk of taking my headphones off for a minute. This is a late model GNL design, so it came from Leo. And the cool thing about it is he went back to that. Guess what? The pickups okay. in this guitar have a giant bar underneath them, and they're not as bright. Yeah. Who would have thought? Right. Um, yep. So he he knew even years later that when they made those compromises. It was probably because players were taking their guitars and putting them through different types of amplification, and they needed that brightness. But once they got back to using fenders, maybe some guys adjusted, maybe some guys didn't. Oh, your mileage may vary. Um, I there's somewhere's going well, with this. Your buying process is one of the one of the easiest things to do. But it, and, and there's two things it does. Number one, it ensures I'm going to get a good quality product that fits my guitar right. But the other thing that it does for me is it makes me uh, – well, I guess it's three things. It makes me understand what I'm doing, right? So it, it, I have to take time out and think, you know, if I got a really bright guitar, I don't want really bright pickups, you know, or vice versa, depending on what I'm trying to achieve. But the other thing it does is it puts me in control from a psychological perspective. Like even though I know you're building them for me, I can ask you the question, and it's not like I'm buying something off the shelf that – isn't necessarily going to, it's going to be a compromise, right? It's going to fit yeah. this one guitar model that they designed it for. So, yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, I mean, you, you end up having to ask those questions anyway, because when somebody says, I want a PAF set, what, what does that mean anymore? Yep. I mean, from a base definition, what it means is you wind a hundred of them, the exact same, and you doesn't matter if you put it in the bridge of the neck, because it's the exact same pickup. What you're going to find is that neck pickup is going to be louder than the bridge. Why? Because there's more string travel in the bridge area, or there's less string travel in the bridge area, and there's more string flop in the neck area. That extra right. motion on an equal resistance and equal inductance pickup, it's going to make that neck pickup sound louder. So if you want a balanced set PAF set, you make the PAF and the bridge a little hotter. You make the bridge, you make the neck PAF and the, the neck a little bit weaker. So they, they end up coming, you know, to that same level. You have to clarify all that shit. Well, that, yeah, that, and the scary thing is most people think PAFs are hot. And yeah. They're, and they're not, I yeah, think that's yeah. a myth that's kind no. of starting to go away. I, a lot of the people I talk to now kind of know inherently that, no, they're not necessarily hot. Um, but I think that's still a, that's still an attitude of a lot of players who haven't looked into it. And that was the first thing you told me. Um, you're like, well, they're not really hot pickups. And I, I initially I shied away because I've always been a hot pickup guy. But then mm -hmm. I was like, you know what? I really do want clarity. And that's more important to me than anything. So, well, and as a, as a fuzz person, so you've identified yourself as a, as a fuzz fan enthusiast. You're, yeah, making definitely. Your tone, you're making your tone dark and saturated already with that pedal, right? Yeah, right. If you've got a high output hot pickup, the hotter you make a pickup, the less high-end frequency you're going to have, and the darker it's going to be. Lots of mud. So that's so, so then you get mud. So like Ace Fraley in the 70s, he plugged straight into a Marshall. He wanted it to saturate. He never played clean. So he wanted a hot pickup because he never played clean. He didn't need the clean, he didn't need the clean tone. And he wanted it to sound, you know, dark and chunky and and you know, without having to use a lot of pickups. Right. What's funny is that in the 70s, people were buying distortion super and high gain. The super pickups, distortion, yeah. Trying to get the tone of a PAF. Mm hmm. So, yeah, which is the exact opposite of what 
they should have been doing. With, mm-hmm. To back up what you're saying, Roger Mayer, of course, Jimi Hendrix Tech, I've been reading a lot of stuff from him. Uh, he's obviously still alive um, and producing pedals and all that. And he said, like, we we actually were taking apart strats and measuring the, the uh, output and the windings. And he's like, we were trying to tell, you know, what the optimal strat was. And at first, they thought the hotter ones were better. But then they started realizing, like, they changed the, the way that the fuzz faces reacted. Um, and Mayer was building too many fuzz faces. Like, basically what was happening was he was rebuilding them all. And then they started realizing, well, no, if we use this lower output pickup, it works better. So he determined they got it right. He said 7.1K is perfect. He's like, that's, that's where you want to be, between 7.1 and 7.5. He's like, you go higher than that, it's going to be muddy. He's like, you go lower than that, and you're not going to be able to push the fuzz face hard enough. Yeah, and if well, if you look at historical records, the fifty-four strat pickups are different than the fifty-nine oh, yeah. strat pickups. Every year is the damn near different. Type. Yeah, the the early sixties to the mid sixties is different, and then the the seventies is is different still. And I've got recipes for all of that. the The magnet's different. The diameter of the pole pieces is different. Mm-hmm. Um, the wire is different. The, if um if they were potted or not, um, all this stuff. So all those are factors in it. And if I, I I like the idea of 7.1k for uh, for a bridge pickup, but then I'd go weaker in the middle and I'd go weaker in the neck. Yeah, that's kind of I think that's kind of what he meant. But he was saying like we were measuring the bridge pickups because that's yeah. Jimmy tended to use the bridge pickup a lot more than people realize. And I know because I remember reading an issue of guitar player from somewhere in the 80s where Stevie Ray Vaughan was being, and they were asking him like, you favor the neck pickup. And he's like, well, yeah, he's like, that's what I found, you know, gets me closest to those kind of Hendrix tones when I'm playing some of these songs. And I think it was more just a reaction to the fact that his pickups were, his pickups were underwound. And that's another misconception, because I think they, they actually measured him for that, for the, um, uh, the Fender, you know. The Texas Specials. Yeah, well, no, so the Texas Specials. So when they, when they did that guitar, um, they, they got the deal with him while he was alive, right? The guitar gets Mm -hmm. produced. Post his, you know, post his life, and under the under the watchful eye of Jimmy Vaughn, and Jimmy actually, the reason why the Jimmy Vaughn signature guitar exists is because he was fighting Fender. He wanted that guitar to be an inexpensive instrument, and they were like, "Look, we can't do that. This is, you know, Steve Vaughn's too important for this." So they got their custom shop instrument, but they struck a deal with him so it would happen so that he could have his lower level instrument that could be more mass acceptable, right? Um. But the the little yeah. little thing was so Jim Jimmy had apparently not played the guitar. It went into a vault, and then they brought it out to do the um the number one you know custom shop thing. And when they bought, there's a video online you can watch it. It came in the DVD in the box for that for that guitar when you bought it. Um, and the DVD is on YouTube, and they and they take the guitar part and they're measuring like every little piece with micrometers and everything else. And in this this video, I, I think they talk about the fact that the pickups are actually underwound. They're like five point something k. You're like severely underwound. And he also had a dummy coil. I don't think they reveal that in there, but I know people who have who have worked with the custom shop and have heard that story that there was a dummy coil underneath the the pick guard um, where the controls were at. So I don't know if that yeah, plays the- into that or. The Fender Texas Specials were the second last set of pickups I ever bought. So I built a partso caster. Okay. And I actually I actually have it against the wall, but um I put Texas Specials in it. And then um 
I found a custom winder in Nashville to wind me a set of pickups that were all 6K. And be, but I, I ended up measuring the Texas specials. The uh, the the bridge was in the seven point something area. The middle was in the six point something area. But the knack pickup was four point nine k. Really, that underwound. Hmm. Wow, that's kind of interesting. Um, because I was always under the assumption that the Texas specials were supposed to be like way overwound. The bridge is okay. Yeah. Okay, so um, I I had uh, I had an SRV strat for a while. And my, my, and I don't know whether it was the magnets or what, but they were, my impression of that guitar was it was a dark, it was muddy as hell. Yep. Um, so I hated it. I hated it. You had I one tried too? one at guitar center. Oh. No, I tried it at guitar center a few weeks ago and I just, I couldn't fall in love with it. Matter of fact, I just, I was like, nah, I love the next. I can't shape. believe people are paying this money for it. I love the next shape. I, I paid 900 yeah. for mine. Yeah. I got mine used. I paid 900 for it. That's um, one yeah. of those ones that if I could get it cheaper, I could get the body cheaper, get that neck, you know, then I would throw that David Gilmore EMG set. Warmoth does that. <laughs> Warmoth does that neck contour. I, I see Nick. Yeah. Uh, ew, the the David Gilmore EMG set. Yeah. Well, and back in like '96, when Metallica like cut their hair and everything, I I bought a set of EMGs for my '79 Gibson Explorer, <laughs> and uh, I had a. EMG eighty five in the in the bridge and an EMG eighty one in the neck, so I could sound like yeah, Metallica. The, reg- the regular set, right? Yeah. And uh, when I learned how to how to wind pickups, those were the first pickups I took out of any one of my guitars to put my own pickups in, and that's when I knew that I had done done something good enough because I collect a lot of vintage guitars. I have got a really nice stable in the other. Yeah, room. I saw I saw um, your picture online the other day. <laughs> yeah, so if it's good enough to put in my vintage collection, it's good enough for other people too, and that's kind of how it all started. When I was like, "Wow, this is good enough for you know," you would never know that that the tone wasn't a vintage pickup. And um, to get rid of the EMGs, I was I was I was happy. I mean, I, they were they were a pedal friendly pickup. Don't get me wrong, and I love Zach Wild and um, Metallica and all that stuff. But you know, when it comes back to a passive pickup that that hits it where it needs to hit it. Like I wouldn't trade that for an EMG any day. So I go ahead. Yeah, Jim. go ahead. You, you can go first. Well, I was going to say why the, so the, the Gilmore EMGs are a completely different animal in that the whole purpose of those was to knock down noise, stage noise. Sure. And obviously he used, he used regular fender pickups in the, in the studio, I'm sure. But when he was, um, on stage, they're just too much hum, and especially with the pedal boards he's using and everything else, he had to have the EMGs. Yeah, when you have sixty down, pedals so. on your board and and two yeah. refrigerator racks filled with you know both amp heads and effects. But as, now, a, as a as a Gibson guy, and I don't have very many very very many strats. So I've got like a Tele, and I've got a couple strats or whatever. But as a Gibson person, I find the sixty cycle hum endearing. Like that's part of the feel and the. And the 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 whole mystical whatever of the Fender tone, so I feel like that's something that I would want if I'm going to play a Strat. I'm getting used to it. I've been playing them so long. I was I was noiseless for a while. I was like, I'm going to use noiseless pickups, but now I'm to the point where it's like, no, you know what? Honestly, if if I'm getting that much noise, I just need to turn the gain down. Well, Fishman, I'm not sure if you guys have tried the Fishman Fluence, Fluence. pickups. Yeah, um, yeah, those things are. I mean, they they knock that out of the park. Yeah, I, if, if I if somebody put a gun to my head and said buy a new production pickup that I didn't make, I would probably get the the Fishmans. I would look yeah. at I would look, I'm looking at Fishmans for a Telecaster, but I yeah. don't. I mean, like 
honestly, for the majority of what I do, I'm not playing a telly. It's a Strat or SG or Les Paul. So, um, yeah, when it comes to the single coil sound, I prefer using either neck middle or middle bridge. I rarely use all the way over to one or all the way over to the other. I can't wait till you get to see this S500, Jim. You're going to be so surprised by how it actually sounds. Yeah. It is not like uh, a Stratocaster pickup at all. Yeah. So, um, so tell, tell us, so you, you have your guitar collection. You got your vintage guitars. Just go through a couple of them. Like, tell us. And, and at the end of that, let's talk about, uh, you've made pickups for like local builders too, right? I mean, yeah, um, I can start there. The, the luthiers, uh, that are local to Detroit, um, they don't have the time to repair broken pickups. Okay. So I've been networking with them and I just say, if it's, you know, if you come across a broken pickup, instead of buying a new replacement one, like call me up and I can fix it. So I've, I have replaced, um, old Rickenbacker base pickups. I've replaced old Gretsch, uh the filter tron pickups and then um the mass production old dealed sears and robux um the silver tones the dan electros um the k's those were mass produced pickups and they really weren't meant to be taken apart they were riveted shut yeah and they've got this old band-aid style um tape in there that just kind of goos off and yeah you you pretty much have to find a way to fix these pickups. <laughs> Jim's and, laughing because um, he's had guitars like that. He knows exactly had, what you're talking about. I had one of those. Uh, the, that was my first electric guitar. Was one of those old back when they were not new, but it was relatively new. It yeah. was one of those closet things that somebody had sitting around. Yeah, I know that. I know exactly what you're talking about. There. Yeah, the band-aid smell of taking the tape off. <laughs> yeah, just, and then you don't know what the resistance was, and you can't find any any information online. So yeah. end up, what I end up having to do is I, I weigh the pickup in grams and then I cut all the wire off and then I wind some on and I weigh it and then I'll wind some more and I weigh it until it, it at least it matches in grams. And then that's the best, well, that's yeah, the best guess. Well, yeah, that, and then use a micrometer to read the, the gauge of the wire, right? Or something like that. To, to read the resistance. But if it was a dead pickup to begin with, you don't know where it was at. Oh, so you can't, with. so you can't use a, like you can't take a strand of the wire and then determine what, what gauge it was. Um, not really. I mean, the wire is so thin between 42 aug and 43 aug is super yeah. minute. It's yeah. like, you wouldn't do, you, would, you definitely wouldn't be able to do it with a conventional caliper. Um, no, it's like 27 thousandths of an inch. And then if it's heavy insulation or if it's single build insulation, that's the different thickness too. So you, it's just a best guess. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That's cool. Um, and then of course we were, we were going to talk about your vintage guitars, which you, which you got over there. So, so just give us a couple. It gives a taste. Okay. So my first electric guitar was a 72 Les Paul Custom with the Gibson <laughs> the Gibson embossed humbuckers. So I'm in like eighth grade and I got it for like 900 bucks. Everybody in my, everybody in my high school is buying like rims for their cars or car stereos or they're trying to like my buy man. beer and stuff. And I'm buying buy guitar it. stuff. I got 79 Explorer for 200 bucks back in 1996. Um Okay, I was getting, I was trying to get the year here because I was like, "Wow, you're older than I am." That's before yeah. <laughs> vintage, or it's right at the birth of vintage, anyway. You know. Um, got the Explorer in '96, and then um, that's from '65. Um, I got an SG Junior from '64. Uh, but yeah, the and then 
I've got some some mid '90s Gibsons as well, like the Les Paul Classic Plus with the nice top on it. I think that the mid to late '90s Gibsons were actually a, a mini golden age for Gibson because they had the right kind of wood and they had they had a good decent build. They and, were doing um, good stuff in the '90s, yeah. man. The like, Murphy stuff yeah. is good, and I mean, they, they, yeah, they. I think that that's a really underrated era for Gibson. Yeah, my '98 Customs gun. The guy from the darkness, uh, Dan Hawkins. That's all he plays is like late '90s Gibsons. His whole rack is like ninety eight Gibson, ninety nine Gibson, maybe like yeah. a two thousand here and there. Like, it's it's for, just crazy. For me, I favor the the early seventies Gibsons, like the Norlin era stuff, mm-hmm. because when I was when I was thirteen and I had that Les Paul Custom, I could fret an F chord because the neck was so skinny on the first fret, and I've been playing it for so long that it just feels like home now. And if I can get an SG Custom that feels like that, I would sell some of my stuff to get one of those, even though that. They're not reputable, or they're not. I mean, that's just what what it is for me. So, and I, and I love the Gibson embossed uh, pickups mm-hmm. on that era from like seventy two ish. Those are just killer. are those the mini humbuckers, or are they the the bigger ones? They had um, everything. the 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 P nineties had it stamped. The okay. mini humbuckers had it stamped, and the full humbuckers have it stamped. Okay. So all yeah. of them, yeah. Yeah my my first Les Paul was a seventy nine custom, and I bought it when it was a year old. It had been hanging on the rack for a year, and it had never been owned. And so I Did it have a, a second stamped on it? Yeah. Yeah, so a, a lot of those didn't sell, and they ended up having the stamped twos on them so that they could yep, sell them so cheaper. that they could sell them cheaper. Yep, that's yeah. how I got it. Hey, hey Jim. So my Explorer is yeah. stamped second. Yeah. Jim, tell them about that, uh, that B you had. Oh, I had a um, I had a Gibson Flying V2. Do you remember those? Oh, yeah. The, yeah. My, my Explorer is an E2. Oh, cool! Yeah, so I had the V two, had the V pickups. Yeah, the V um, pickups. Yeah. Who was the guy that made those? T- uh, start with a T. Tommy something or T. So anyway, um, Tim Shaw was it? Tim Shaw. That's it. Tim Shaw made those pickups, and uh, I was always told they were single coils, but um, I recently found out they were really just small humbuckers. But um, underneath that V, but the uh, um, the thing I love that guitar. I bought oh, yeah. it. I bought that thing, Nick, for. $500. It was brand new. It had never been owned. It had been hanging on the shelf for almost three years when I bought it. <laughs> the contour cuts on that are so comfy, too. They oh, have like a yes. little bit of a tummy route on it. And yes. Yeah, and it's layered layered walnut and it, um, some it other... Is totally the ugly duckling, though. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but it's the ugly duckling, like like he said, you know, with that skinny neck thing. It was just, it was home to me, because I was, so that was 20... 19? 19 or 20 when I bought that guitar. Tell me you still have it. No. No. I wish I had Jim's looking for another one, so if you get a line on one, yeah. uh, pass it his one. Yeah, so I'm, uh, the, we had um, uh, Robert Jackson on the show, and he was telling us how they had it at his guitar center. Um, they had one hanging on the wall for like 18 months or so. I said, man, I wish I'd have called you, you know, and talked to you then, because I'd have bought that thing from you in a minute. Yeah, I want to get one just so I have a matching pair. So I've got the yeah. uh, the E2 and the V2. Um, and I, I've actually heard that the V2 sound a lot like a Telecaster because of the yeah. way those pickups were wound. When you when you go on that bridge pickup, you can get some good country honk out of it on the clean channel. Yep, which was obviously not what people were buying Vs for. Yeah. Uh, I think that's why it didn't sell. Not because it didn't sound good, but because uh, country players weren't going to play a, cla- or a flying V. But then again, I was in a country band, and I played... Um, when I was playing bass and I played a Rickenbacker, so I was the, I was nice. the open that 
Unfor- That's cool. Unfortunately, I've never had enough money to buy any vintage stuff, but uh, I do play them from time to time. I go, go to get the Chicago, you have, you have the money change. for vintage stuff. Oh, you shit. just gotta you just gotta reapply the, the no the funds. You don't have to spend a lot of money to buy vintage stuff. The stuff I want, really? I would. I mean, <laughs> in all reality, look at look at some of the stuff. Yeah, it's, I, I mean, I, I'll admit that not everything has got to be super high end. If you look, like we've said before, if you can find a Les Paul that's had the headstock fixed, hey man, you know, yeah, yeah. My my Trini Lopez has had it has had a neck a neck. Uh, re-glue on it and i'm actually I, attorney lopez is in the shop right now getting it cleaned up because whoever did it like 30 40 years ago did a shit job and i don't i like to have nice things so i'm, I'm having it fixed no <laughs> I, w- I, I wouldn't mind paying to have something refixed or anything like that it's just i gotta find yeah. the, i have to find the right one you know what i mean like i have i've ever even come across one that i really felt like this is a guitar i really want to own um but i'm sheltered like i go to the local like guitar center and stuff like i don't i don't go to i mean i go to cme occasionally oh but cme's prices are just they're crazy so you know what sucks is yeah. if you're gonna go to a the only guitar centers that are worth a damn honestly that have anything worth a damn new york city la and um uh san francisco area right. i mean honestly that's that's really the only place you're gonna go other than that you've really got to do some digging i mean i would buy i've always wanted a 61 sg the 6061 SG, because that's when they were called Les Pauls, right? I mean, <clears throat> and so I've always wanted one that was stamped Les Paul, and I don't care if it was the neck was broken and, and they had to get it fixed. And if I have to get it refixed, I don't care. I'd rather have that than um, get one that was from whatever. And eventually I'm going to get myself a 1964 guitar just because that's my birth year. And it nice. might be a shit guitar. Yeah, I got to find something one. from 84 that's actually worth yeah. a damn. Like, get a strat. With non-original yeah. parts that's been refretted a million times, and you'll you'll get one for you know it'll still be a lot of thousand dollars, but it'll probably be the yeah. best. So, yeah. if you had to, if somebody told you, Nick, you had to buy a new production guitar, what brand would you look at? Ernie Ball Music Man. Okay, all right. Hand, with, without even thinking, um, I would say Paul Reed Smith because I, I met him and he's a really nice guy, and he he gave me some secrets for pickup stuff. But um, that's cool. I've never taken an Ernie Ball Music Man, not the Sterling brand, but the the EVM yeah, like stuff. the actual USA's, right? Yeah, I've never taken one off the rack and played it and said to myself, "I don't like this." All of them felt like they were set up right, they were in tune, they didn't have any dead spots, mm-hmm. and it felt like every single one had a, had a really good sweet spot, and they were all in a different place. But the chords felt good, the frets felt nice and polished, and like. That they were comfortable to play on your lap. They were they were not too heavy, and the tone was there. The tops were nice. The mm-hmm. finish wasn't too there wasn't too much finish on them. Like it, it just felt like they thought about everything. Mm-hmm. And it, yeah, if I had to throw money down on a new production guitar, it would be one of those. Maybe the the Dark Morris or whatever okay. um, line. But and I I like the Saint Vincent ones too. Those are super comfy. Yeah, people a oh, lot yeah, of people like yeah. the Saint Vincent one, and I've I've been dying to play like a USA one. I played yeah, the I Sterling one. I actually liked on it. One. So yeah, the Sterling one plays great too. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I, I got one for you. If um, it, right in that same line, if a company was to ask you, "Hey, we want you," if it was your dream company, they said, "Hey, we want you to create pickups for us." What would that company be? <sighs> That's a tough one. Um, I guess if it if it helped Gibson, I'd do it for Gibson. But That's awesome. If it if it, if Fender, I mean, I guess it depends who's knocking on my door. 
but um if it was seymour duncan i i'd do it for him like their custom shop recommended me to to somebody they said hey, hey we called seymour duncan's custom shop and they said to call you i'm like how do they know i exist yeah you're like, like how do they know? get my number <laughs> so i mean the 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 circle of pickup winders is really small and all the pickup winders that I've talked to in the Midwest have just been totally cool. So if, even if a guy was like, um, and even out West, like Wolf Tone pickups out of Seattle, if, if, any, or Brandon wound pickups out of Ohio, if any of these guys said, Hey, I just struck a huge deal with, you know, a big time mass production guitar company and I can't make pickups quick enough. And I know that you've been doing it for, you know, eight years will you team up with me? It would be, you know, it'd be like, wow, that's a real, that, that would be really cool to me to do. So I just, the, yeah. just the, the, the aspect of the opportunity sounds really cool. Yeah. So, uh, Jim, we had some other topics, right. From the group that you wanted to talk about. Yeah. Um, first I want to mention, uh, Nick, you've got a, you've got a band that you, uh, oh, yeah. you do a tribute band and we have to talk about this tribute band because it yeah. fucking rocks. Right. And it's, it's a kiss band. It's called, uh, was it Detroit rocks? Oh, look, he's got the mask on and everything. I got to go get mine. Cause that's exactly what I've got. Well, we made ours. We handmade ours, but I still wear it's plastic. It was a white plastic mask. And, um, the other guy's, uh, father hand painted every one of them. And so, wow. Yeah, so um, my when I moved to Michigan, my original guitar luthier um, was a big Kiss fan, and we we both um, were big Kiss fans. And I I came to find out that um, after him seeing me in my I had an Ace Frehley kind of hotter than hell era Halloween costume that I had made that inspired him and his band to have a Kiss tribute band. And I told him kind of on the side like, Hey man, if you ever have like an opening, can you call me? Cause I know all the songs I, I've yeah. been playing them since I was 12, all this other stuff. So, um, next thing you know, their Paul Stanley quits. And I said, well, I, I kind of would rather be the ace, but if that's where the opening is, I can sing the songs. I'm not tone deaf. I can, I can learn to sing them all. No problem. Right. Right. So I came in as the star child character. Um, you know, we don't, we don't like to call ourselves like Gene Simmons and Ace Frehley because we're not those people. We're right. We're the right. Personas. Right. 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 Nobody, nobody gets their role for a Superman movie and says that I'm, you know, Clark or a Batman yes, movie. Steve I'm, yeah, I'm Ed West. You know, yeah. it's like, no, man, you're Batman. You know, like yeah. nobody wants to be the person. You want to be the character. Even they so, were the characters. So yeah. yeah. So I mean, we're not trying to be the people. We're just trying to be the characters. So uh, we do the tribute band, and it created this huge opportunity. Um, you know, being a being a pickup maker and being a do it yourselfer. I had the opportunity to make a bunch of like stage stuff. So we're not just playing the songs. We're dressing like them. We're doing the sways. We've got, they spit blood, so awesome. fire. Um, I buy like the Paul Stanley signature series guitar, but I also have um, a firebird one, which is like the Joe Bonamassa Epiphone firebird one. Right. Uh, yeah. Paul Stanley toured with one of those on the alive one tour. And then I've also got a, a black flying V, the 120, 120th anniversary flying V. I specifically like that one because it has white binding on the fretboard edges. Yep. So in a, on a dark stage, you can see where the dots are. Yeah. Right. On, on all, every single other flying V I've ever played, it doesn't have that. It has the raw wood on the fretboard edges. So I have to have that one. Um, so I, I rotate with three guitars. The, uh, the Ace Freely guy is my old guitar tech, and he figured out how to get the smoking Les Paul. And... Um, <laughs> You, you got to show so us now that we got you on video. You got to show cool. us uh, your your guitar that you sh- 
showed us pre oh. pre show. Yeah, his thing is body. amazing. So this is awesome. For those of you listening, he'll he'll explain it. <laughs> so anybody knows guitar fetish, right? Yeah, yep. that's a guitar so fetish this is body. A, this is a guitar fetish body, single, single, <laughs> single humbucker. But I routed the whole thing out. Those are LEDs. Yeah, every single one of those yellow things is an LED, and it's going to go into. It, it's all going to plug into in Arduino chip, oh, which is programmable right. from USB. And then it's going to be powered by a 12-volt quadcopter battery. That's awesome. So the neck on it, because since it's an Ace Freely guitar, it has to have the Perloid Grovers. That's yep. a detail. KISS fans are very detail-oriented. It also has yes, to have are. the block inlays. <laughs> so when you put it all together... It's going to be an Ace Freely guitar that lights up, and it's going to blind you when you see it. Yeah, when, it when you when you blink, you're going to see the LEDs in the backs of your eyelids. If you're if you're <laughs> just an audio listener, uh, just to give you an idea of what he just showed, the guitar is literally covered in super bright LEDs, and these are the kind of LEDs you get for like photographic stuff where you're going to light right. a subject. I mean. You should be able to land a plane on stage with this thing. Yeah. <laughs> like, I, how many LEDs are in there? Do there you know? are, there are only three things that you can see from space that are man-made. One yeah. is the Great Wall of China. <laughs> Two is Ingve's Great Wall of Marshalls. And third is Nick Bonger's Light Up well, Les Paul. You see the, that little that, that rectangle in the corner? Mm-hmm. There's, there's six. There's six of them just in that one. So multiply that by however many inches there are here and... It's oh, there's a lot. God, yeah. there's got to be 300, 200, 200 300 yeah. in there. Yeah. But I mean, you, you go on Amazon, you buy the roll of tape, and the tape has the LEDs all pre. Yeah. And all you do is stick the tape on, and you're halfway there. It beats soldering. Yeah. Yeah. So are, are you going to cover that in like a, um, a, a see through thing? Yeah. I've got a, I've got a plexi cover that's clear that's cut out. I routed it out the Les Paul shape and I've got to find out a way to, 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 uh, to screw it. it on. Okay. Yeah. So we built that. Um, we've got confetti cannons that we ordered that are CO2 powered. So you throw a switch and the, the, it's like a PVC pipe and it pops and it, all of the, um, all the confetti comes out of it. Um, I measured up Marshall heads and I got, went to like the local Menards and bought lumber and, made these empty Marshall heads and I went online. I ordered the, 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 the plates. Those, yeah. Yep. I ordered, I ordered like, you know, bulk pots and bulk input jacks off of like a Chinese website and like the Marshall replacement uh, knobs, the pilot light. And I hooked up a nine volt battery in the back to it. So when you, when you throw it out, the light, the pilot light shows up, none of it's wired in the back, but from the front, you, you hook a little patch cable up to it. It looks like it's plugged in. Yeah. Um, the Marshall logos I 3D printed because those are 25 bucks a piece. So, um, you know, but when, when you look at it, 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 they, they're real full Marshall stacks and we've got uh, four full stacks as it goes across. Yeah. It's pretty insane. I saw you building that project. I was glued to your Facebook while you were building that. <laughs> I couldn't that, believe that, that you're going that far amazing. with that. I was like, this is awesome. Tell them what yeah, you actually you know, use for an amp though. Um, I've got a little, I got a little Hughes and Kettner. Um, it's like a tube Meister 18, but it's the, it, it's the deluxe 20, but on the back of it, it's got the Hughes and Kettner red box DI. So I can go straight to PA, but, um, so I use that sometimes, but, um, I also have the sans amp plexi, yeah. uh, the, the fly rig. So I can go straight to PA, um, with that too, because it sounds 
just as good as a Marshall when it's when it's live. That's what I was going to say. On the stage volume. And, um, you know, you show up to a bar with four huge Marshall stacks and people are looking at each other like, wow, these guys are going to blow up the place. But then we play and it sounds good. Yeah. It's not like overkill. We I there's a I and I've told this story on the show before, so I'm sorry, listeners, but this is for Nick's benefit. Um there's a club that's like right next door to the music store where I go all the time. It's not really a club, it's like a bar. And they maybe has room for like max capacity is like two hundred people. It's tiny. And mm-hmm. I, I I was leaving there one night to go home and I looked next door and there's a U Haul truck pulled up in front of the bar. And they're unloading cabinets, okay? And I'm not talking. I'm not talking one four by twelve. I'm talking like four, and then four more, and then like then come out the amps. And there's multiple like what look to be hundred watt heads. And I'm sitting there going, "What in the hell do they think they're doing?" Like <laughs> in this little club. I'm just like, never mind. <laughs> I'm going home. <laughs> yeah, we we show up to a venue and we're carrying in all this stuff. And sometimes the, the the sound guy shows up late and he goes, you guys don't need all this for this kind of show. And I go, well, walk around the back and just let me know if everything's hooked up right. He walks around the back and it's all empty. He goes, oh, my God. He goes, I got to take pictures. I got yeah, to call my amazing. friends. He's got to check yeah, these out. This is amazing. And like, just totally <laughs> freaking out. And you know, historically, Kiss um, had Marshall cabinets without speakers in them. Mm-hmm. And they would tell the they tell the spotlight guys don't don't shine the lights on these empty cabs because you would see the holes in them. <laughs> you just go so right it's, through it. Right. It's, so it's not only part of the show, but it's also historically accurate to have you know yeah. fake Marshall okay. cabs. Oh yeah. oh yeah, they weren't the only ones. They were not the only no, ones. and they're still and, not the only ones. Okay. Yeah, now now it's now it's common. Who was uh, I hearing about the other day that they they have an endorsement deal with somebody and they got like. They they take full stacks on stage, but back behind the full stack, they have like a orange tiny terror. <laughs> yeah, I think I, I know that um, for a fact that uh, that same exact uh, setup that you're talking about, Cheap Trick did. The yeah, that's orange, what it was. It wasn't a tiny terror, but it was a, a little orange, just one of their little um, amps, and everything else was lit up. And they had they had LEDs. Well, not LEDs, of course. This was pre LED times with all these lights all over these huge stacks and. Behind it was just this little, like little orange. orange combo or something. <laughs> nice. Yeah, it's just hysterical. <laughs> was it? And there's pictures well, of this thing. That's what's funny about yeah. it. So it just looks like like this titanic wall of amps behind it, and there's a little little tiny terror or whatever one by twelve orange combo <laughs> with it with a single microphone nice. in front of it. <laughs> yeah, I know that Tommy Thayer plays Hughes and Kettner amps. Back when I lived in Wisconsin, my um, my guitar teacher Dennis Shepard, he's a rep for Hughes and Kettner, and um, he actually got to deliver. When they were playing in Vegas, he got to deliver a Hughes and Kettner amp to Tommy Thayer. So um, I know that that Paul Stanley's a Marshall guy, but um, Tommy Thayer plays Hughes and Kettner amps pretty faithfully. So for me to play an H and K amp at a Kiss tribute show is is also pretty fitting. Yeah, that's acceptable. Yeah, yeah. you know, and yeah, then- I saw I saw them live six or seven years ago the last time, and I, I noticed that about Tommy Sprig. I think it's very cool that you're being faithful to um, like the original vision. I. I, my favorite tribute band is a band called The Musical Box, and they do authentic replicas of, you know, 70s Peter Gabriel era Genesis stuff. And, That's cool. And, I mean, so if you know anything about that band, like, the costumes and then all the... And they're literally using the period correct gear, so they have bringing out Hammond organs and um, what's the... Uh, the Mellotron... Oh, and they got, oh, you know, a, mo- a modded Mellotron for... That, that was just oh, like the mod oh, that they had done. 
And then like the uh, the pedal board is all the seventies vintage, like you know, uh, I think it, they've got a uh, uh, like a tone bender on there, and yeah. he's got he's got a thing called a synthy high fly, right? Have you ever, you ever heard of this thing? They had no bass player. Yeah, go ahead. Oh no, they have bass player. No, um, seventy uh, zero uh, Genesis. Yeah, they, did. they, had, they didn't have a bass player, did they? Yeah, Mark Rutherford. Who was it? Mark Rutherford. He's also a guitar player. Oh, he I used to play he double necks. Play... He'd have a oh, bass on top, right. so when he, he played, play... yeah, he played bass and then he played guitar. Uh, right? Well, and then, wow. when, and then when he was playing guitar, he played bass with the pedals on the floor. With the pedals, and the they use the mo- they use the Moog pedals yeah. on the floor. But the funny thing is, like when you go see him live, they, I played those. Uh-huh. There, there's a lot. There's a live album, right? And in the live album, those pedals never work right, and they're always hitting the button, yep. and like you hear them going yep. off or whatever. And then they're like, "Okay, we're ready for the next song." They're doing that live. <laughs> and then, yeah. like literally having the same problems. It's hysterical. So yeah. super cool Both show. If you ever get are... a chance to see him, great. And to hear people that actually like look at KISS and I, I there's another Led Zeppelin act around here that does kind of the same thing. Like they will do things just to be faithful. And like yeah. to the point where it's just not even it's not even worth doing, but you're like, okay, you know, I get it. <laughs> so Yeah, I I break a guitar at the end of every show and it's just uh a GFS body that I drilled. Yeah. I drilled the neck joint out with uh, for wooden dowels, and then you I drilled the, the neck for wooden dowels, and then I break the dowels, and then I punch them out, and I put new dowels in. But everybody said like it's it's a real guitar, and I'm breaking it every time. I just put it back together every time. <laughs> oh, that's cool. <laughs> I was going to ask you that because he he was famous yeah. for breaking that Iceman when they remember when he did the Iceman thing and the um, was that the '90s or early 2000s. It was like a he had a Gibson that he used to break all the time that wasn't even worth playing. I forgot what right. that was called, an L four or something like that. Yeah, like he, yeah he'd break he like a Telecaster. It was a Marauder. Marauder, yeah. It was yeah. a Marauder. Okay, yeah. Marauder. yeah. He should yeah. break that thing. That was the breaker. He should break that thing every fucking day. That's what he yeah. did. <laughs> yeah, that's what he did. He had a whole stacks of boxes. He said for breaking only. You know, <laughs> that's, that's yeah. awesome. That's awesome. Have you ever have you ever had the the uh, Unfortunate of uh, playing a Marauder. No, I've never played one, but uh, I wouldn't mind owning one just to have one for the Kiss tribute. They're cool. I mean, because of what they are, like it's a historical thing. But dude, I don't know what Gibson was thinking. <laughs> like, I honestly don't know. They, I know what they were thinking. They were thinking, look, we're going to compete with the '70s Japanese stuff that's knocking us yep. off by producing a guitar of similar quality, and that's what they got. Yeah. So well, it almost reminds me of like the the pawn shop series that Fender has now. Like we're gonna take a, a single cut Les Paul, we're gonna put on a flying V neck, and we're gonna put on a Telecaster bridge pickup. You know what I mean? We're gonna bastardize a lot of the cool parts of stuff that we like and I'm, see where it goes. I'm glad to hear somebody else say this. Um, we talked about the um, not the pawn shop, but what they call the um, alternate universe series, and how they uh. Fender was just like, we'll just throw, we'll mash these parts up together. And, like, it's a really cheap way of creating a new guitar, and maybe one takes off or whatever. Um, the way I looked at it was, like, you'll see these on on sale, like, real soon, because nobody's going to buy them. So what what happened was, on Sweetwater the other day? Yellow Tag Clearance. Several yep. of them They're were on sale on, on Yellow Tag. Yep. Wow. Yep. You know, that's throwing a pile of shit at the wall and hoping some of it sticks. What that's a- exactly what it was. Huh? So. The, the the one thing that I can say, and if you go to Chicago Music Exchange, I defy you to do this experiment. Walk around to the 72 Fender Telecaster uh, Deluxes, or the Thin Lines. Yeah. The ones that have the uh, the wide-range pickups in them. Mm-hmm. And play one. Play, yeah. play it plugged in, and then t- 
take a 72 reissue down. Yeah, like they're totally to different. That one. They're totally different. The wide range pickups are different under the hood. Yeah. So what they did when they reissued those pickups was they used the 72 cover, mm-hmm. but the, the pole pieces are steel poles, and there's a bar magnet underneath just like your regular old humbucker. <laughs> the original... The original 72s had magnetic poles, those screws that you could adjust the heights in. Each one of those was its own pole magnet, just like a strat. And that's where you got the percussion from. That's where you got the feel from, the snappiness of those those wide-range pickups. So what I do, whenever I see somebody with a a 72 reissue, I say, rip those pickups out and send them to me. And I hand ream... I, I take out those. Uh, I take out the bar magnet. I take out the the poles, and I hand ream those holes. And I put either strat poles in there, like what I would put in a strat pickup, or you can buy now the um, a screw that has a hollowed out um, hole in it, and then a bar magnet inside the screw. They they you couldn't get them um, unless you're ordering from China by the millions. But now on the state side, you can start to get them now. But you can you can retrofit. Uh, the reissue wide range pickup to actually have the magnetic poles now. And it does make a huge difference. Well, I'm sure it does. My S500 has, uh, it, you know, it's their single coil pickups and they have individual adjustable pole pieces and they use a hex magnet. Um, and I just tinkered around with them one day and I'm like, you know what? This is too dangerous. Cause I, I was, you know, I had a clean, clean sound going on the amp and I'm picking it and I'm like adjusting. I'm like, oh my God. Like, what that, in the hell? Nick, well, I started. Nick said, you said exactly what I, w- I needed to hear because I've been talking to Dave for months about getting one of those 72 thin line reissues. But like you said, I couldn't find the sound I wanted from them. I love the look. And the 72 thin line is the only strat I pick up and play that I like. I like that it. I can find one that I like. And I was like, but the pickups are shit. And what do I put in them? You know, do I put bare knuckles in them? Do I put fluids? What do I put in there? So that's what I'll do. I'll get a hold of you. Yeah. <laughs> Well, you can you can pay uh, Jason Lawler about three or four hundred bucks for a set, or you can send those ones to me, and I can retrofit them for a lot less. All right, yeah, that's Nick, cool. Nick has, and and for all of our listeners who are considering uh, Nick's pickups, he has fair prices, and and he you have a quality guarantee. I like that. Yeah, yeah, you know, musicians are poor. I've never met a rich musician, even the ones that our national touring artists, they want to, they don't want to spend a lot of money no. and, or they want something for free. So, um, you know, unless you're a rich dude that just collects stuff, you're probably not the kind of person that wants to approach me because you don't know how you want it to sound anyway. Right. Um, but you know, if you're a working musician or if you're a hobbyist and you want to hear something, if you can explain it to me, I can probably build it for you. And if I send you something you don't like, I can either refund you or I can go back to the drawing board because, um, I've been doing this for eight years, and I think I've only had one. I've only had one customer not be happy with what I had, and it was because I was holding the wire with my fingers, and I couldn't hold the wire tight enough to get enough winds on it. He goes, "It has to be eight point three k," and I couldn't get it hotter than seven point eight k because I'm like, I'm trying to hold it as tight as I can. I can't get enough wire on it. And <laughs> I, that was back when I started. You told me you that know, story, and I said, cracked up. I was like, really. Everybody since then's been happy with what I could what, with what I could do, and um, I like that people compare it to the big name stuff. Even though I don't have any aspirations of being a big name pickup maker, I have an aspiration of turning people on that I know, or people that want you know a quality price for a quality dollar. And um, I know that there's kids in high school that can't afford you know 
Lindy Fraylin pickups or, you know, the, the multi hundred dollar stuff. So, um, you know, you can save up a little bit less than that and get one for me and be just as happy. Uh, yeah, if not more happy. Um, I, I think the pickups that you built for me for the SG are probably the best pickups I've ever played. Um, and that's Thanks. saying quite a bit. So, um, all right, so you want to move on to the, yeah, uh, the let's, Jason Fultz let's get, monger let's get thing? Ang- let's get angry. Okay. Let's get angry. So here's one. Um, so this guy, I, I, I don't even remember what his, uh, his YouTube thing is, but he put up that the guitar is dead and it's your fault. R.I.P. Rock and the guitar solo. And Jason Fultzmonger says it's an interesting take on why this dude thinks rock music is dead. And I'm going to say this. I saw a horrible thing going on and, and i know everybody's going to have a di- different um, take on it than me but as a person who played and was paid to play music um it pissed me off when people started downloading music for free constantly and i said i said this is going to kill a lot of it I said, and people were like oh the music is up she is the only one making money on this blah, blah, blah. i said look musicians like you just said nick they're poor they don't make a lot of money and if the record company can't make money Guess what they're not going to do? Hire musicians. And and then they're going to go. We saw that was the beginning of the decline of all of a sudden, hey, you know what? Let's replace drummers with machines. Let's replace, um, you know, we had seen a little bit of that with um, bands in the, you know, the 80s, but they were doing it as a, as a part of their sound. It was that weird, you know, funky sound that they were getting from drum machines. But most of their music still had live drummers. We started losing drummers. We started losing other guitar players. We started seeing more and more loopers. We started seeing more and more effort. It was a marginalization of labor. Yes. And that, um, I will only take one side of that being that I I agree with. And that is that if you're you're not going to spend money on the music you like or the entertainment you like as a general, as a general rule, you're always going to be that person trying to get it for free all the time, then you are killing it. I'll agree with that. Sure, but, you know, the game changed, and musicians need to be able to change the game along with the industry. I mean, do you remember um, full-service filling stations? You drive to the gas station and somebody would pump your gas. You know, when people figured out they could pump their own gas without a tech uh, putting gas in their car, those guys lost their job. Except New Jersey. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Or Portland. Yeah. That is that is, like, a labor, that is a labor. That's a labor law in New Jersey. When when cars were invented, you know, everybody that owned a horse had to do something with their horses. So, like for me, the cream's going to rise to the top. People still own horses. Um, people say that jazz is dead, um, but there's still jazz clubs everywhere. People yeah. say that blues is dead. You've got people like Joe Bonamassa, Samantha Fish, Davy Knowles in Chicago. Um, people still playing blues. So um, you can say rock is dead. I say more for me. Um, there's always going to be people making rock. There's always going to be rock clubs, metal clubs, all that stuff. Um, just because it's not a Grammy award, just because, um, I mean, you just have to find if you're going to support it, you just have to support it with your money. So whenever Joe Bonamassa comes to town, I make sure I buy a ticket. Yeah, it's a lot of money, but I want him to keep touring. Whenever they come out with an album, um, Dawes is a newer band I listen to, yeah. the Foo Fighters. Yeah. I don't care if it's crap. I'm going to buy it because I want them to keep going. So the people that, download free music it might not have clicked with them that if they don't start finding a different way to give their favorite bands their money that they will go away it doesn't matter what the medium is um what matters is that you find a way to support the people that you want us to keep around right um so my my take on this is this is this is the uh, the sky is falling attitude 
And Jim, you're you've been around long enough to know oh, yeah. this has happened before, where people are it like, did. "Oh, it's dead, it's dead," you know. And then what what happens? You have a resurgence of these underground groups that that surface, and all of a sudden, I you've honestly got- think guitar is coming back. But if you look, it's got to be podcasts like ours and the and businesses like Nick's and the and the guitar sales. They're not they're. Uh, I think that they're looking. Um, as a matter of fact, Yahoo just did a thing where they said that um, guitar sales are actually increasing, not decreasing. So um, the fact is that there is still money to be made. There's still what I'm saying is if you don't like Nick said, if you don't support the musicians you love, sure. then they can't afford to make music. It's still you know yes, it's it's cheaper to make an album, but you still got to put food on the table. Everybody winds up having kids. Everybody winds up having a wife. Everybody winds up having a life. You've got to be able to do you things give, to make you, a You want to give the musicians you, you love and the, the, the bands you love credit? Buy a ticket live. That's yes. where they get the money. That's the or, yep. or go and see local shows and people that... Have you guys heard of Greta Van Fleet? Yep. Yeah. We just they, talked about them. They, they, they yeah. live an hour north of me. Frankenmuth, Michigan. like Just like tourist trap destination of a city, but... Here are these guys, and God help them, they're being compared to Led Zeppelin, but hopefully they grow <laughs> out of that. Um, I mean, it's a, I think it's a compliment at first, but I don't want it to curse them at the same time. No, they're, but, definitely, I mean, they're, they're definitely beyond that, but yeah. Yeah, yeah, but it's somebody that they're local, they upcome, and like, if people wouldn't have gone to their shows locally, they might not have even had a tour. And now they're, they're setting the world on fire. I mean, everybody starts somewhere, so if there's people locally that are looking to do it, and you love music, maybe you should be getting out more too. Well, and that's the other thing. So like bands like Greta Van Fleet and all these groups, they are the next generation. Like we, yeah. we need to realize they're here. They're all around us. They always are. We're just not looking. So yep. get out there and see your local music. Go, go find some local venues that actually put on good shows with local bands at the, yeah, minim- at the minimum. Social media has made people lazy. I mean, now that you have yes. to have record store day, so you can go out and buy records. Yeah. And don't um, get me started. You know, like Facebook events, people say they're going and they don't show up. So That's right. Facebook is probably. I, I'm seeing this, and a lot of uh, musicians that I talk to are saying this. More and more people are seeing, like you said, people are saying they're going. They don't go. They say they're going to support it. They don't support it, and mm. they're like they're they get three thousand likes and four people show up. Do you know what? Yeah. Do you know what? Facebook my, is total garbage. You know what for, my thing for business anymore. The, the way that we market the show, um, we use it for brand awareness. We do have right. a Facebook group where everybody interacts. You're a member of it. Other people are members of it. The reason we have that group, Nick, is so that we can interact with our with our fans and the and the supporters of the show. But the reality is, look, all we need to do is have you know we exist. If you listen to the product one time. And this is we've seen this in our numbers. If you listen to the product one time, chances are you're going to listen twice. Yeah. Um, so I didn't. I avoided. I avoided having a Facebook page for Great Lakes Guitar Pickups because I just wanted it to be a word of mouth thing. I wanted. I didn't want to be easy to find. I wanted it to be that cool new mm-hmm. pickup that you just heard of that and you can only that get if you knew somebody i had to go online and talk about it and ruin it for you and yeah so now people are saying what's your facebook page and it's like well it's like i gotta make one now but it's cool to show people videos of me making stuff and you know what it looks like under the hood and it kind of is a cool thing as a hobbyist for people who collect guitars to actually see the process now it's kind of a fun almost an educational thing for me my my favorite thing and the thing i'll never forget about the pickups that are in my sg which by the way i can't sell this sg even if i want to now 
Um, <laughs> the coolest part of that process was that when um when you were like I'm winding, him, I'm winding him tonight, and then you're like, "What record should I listen to while I wind your pickups?" Oh yeah, and I'm like, "Yeah, all right, here we go." Yeah, dude, yeah, it's that's the best. Baby. That's the best. Um, yeah, I you know I I like that because people listen to different stuff, and I like to listen to different stuff. And if somebody says, "Well," I want to set a strat pickup, so now I'm going to play on this is is Jimi Hendrix and you know John Mayer. So oh. to get into the spirit of it, I'm going to throw that shit on while I'm winding <laughs> the pickups. And everybody says that voodoo doesn't voodoo doesn't exist, and I I will agree that voodoo doesn't exist. And um, you know every pickup is different, but for me, it's the spirit that you're you know that you're capturing and the mood that I was in when I was making your pickups. If you're going to be playing it in a Jimi Hendrix mood, I want to wind it in a Jimi Hendrix mood. <laughs> That's so, awesome. Totally agree. That's 100%. awesome. Jim, so now that you have the Amp 1 and we had Thomas Blug on the show, Nick Bongers is on the show, what are you, what are you getting pickups in? <laughs> All right. So, yeah, well, I already t- I already said um, what guitar I'm going to do that in. No, I think it's so, in line. I, I honestly, if I didn't love my 57 classics, I would I would replace them. I because guarantee I love his guitar. pickups are better than that. And <laughs> if I didn't love the S15s, yeah, the Paul Reed Smiths, I wouldn't play them. Those are good, yeah. Um, I, I'm Nick. I don't know um, if you've looked at the S15 uh, E's or S or whatever they call them um, from that are from overseas. All I know is that the Korean ones are probably the closest thing. You could take an Epiphone pickup and a Gibson pickup, like I said before, and I'll tell you which one is which. But those two. The, the American-made um, uh, 8515s and the um, uh, 8515Ss are so close. I mean, so, so close. Even as clear as a bell, clean, I, I can barely tell the difference in the room. It's funny because when you talk to Paul Reed Smith, he will say that he doesn't want the S the SC models to sound that good because he doesn't want the American line to die. So he they're very careful about how good the Korean ones are. And I've played a couple of Korean ones that sounded like a wet fart. So I think you still, it's just like any other guitar. You got to play a lot of them and find a good one. It sounds like you found a good one. Yeah. The other thing I'll say is that if you've got pickups that you like in your guitar, you're good to go. Don't just switch out pickups right. just because you want to switch pickups. A lot of people buy and sell pedals. They want to try out new stuff. I don't like to do that with pickups because sometimes you can take your pickups out, regret it, and put them back in. And it, doesn't, it doesn't feel the same. Or it's not the way you remembered it. <clears throat> and now you're chasing your tail. So if it ain't broke, don't fix it. I mean, and as a pickup winder, if that's going to cost me whatever, I'm cool with it. Because if you have what works, just keep working it. So, yeah, um, mirror pickups, they were always main career, right? That I don't know, but I know that the mirror, <laughs> yes, the, the, Jim the knows PRS mirror, the, the finishes on the mirrors have had a lot of controversy. If you put yeah. low tech tech tape on the finish you can peel the finish right off i know i know guitar techs in detroit that won't even touch a mirror if you go into their shop that's it they, they want to set up they, they'll say bring it somewhere else we don't want to touch it that's interesting uh so the reason i ask is i i got into a debate with somebody who said that they changed the mirror pickups when they went to the s2 line um paul e. smith denies this um i have you know my local dealer denies it they're like no they're the same pickup like people are just smoking dope and I've only seen one thread related to this. That's what I said. Like, okay, if it Chinese works, who cares? I don't care where it yeah. comes from. Like, as long as if it you sounds like them, the same. Like them. Yeah. 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 The reason why why I asked, they've always been Korea, because like that, 
that would indicate if they changed country of origin that like from USA to Korea, that they'd actually changed the factory and therefore probably the, the makeup. So last one last thing before we go. So as you know, I got the, the Thomas blue amp one. I I'm still in a honeymoon phase, but I really love it. All right. So somebody said, Hey, um, the milkman is coming. Milkman amps is coming out with a similar product and it's called the amp. And it's a 100 watt hybrid too. Somebody's Googling. Here's the, so here's the thing. Yeah, that's fine. Here's the thing. So this is this is where I have a problem with it. Because they're like, all right, Milkman's coming out with this at $700. That's actually $100 cheaper than the um, uh, Blue or the Amp One. All right. But here's here's my problem with it. It's something that's been done 100 times. Here's a 12AX7 running in the, um, you know, Class A preamp. All right. We've seen that in... Um, Pedals, we've seen it in amps, we've seen it everywhere. So don't don't throw that out like it's some kind of new technology. You're doing something spectacular. Um, secondly, they're like, oh, it's 50 watts or 100 watts. It's actually 50 watts into 8 ohms and 100 watts into 4 ohms. But anybody that knows amplifiers knows, knows that, that you get more watts the case. when you pull that, yeah, over, over um, lower ohms. Because that's how wattage works. It's a mathematical equation. Um, and... Uh, so I looked at it. I'm like, okay, there's only one tone. There's not even a um, a uh, overdrive and a um, a uh, regular clean circuit. It's just a circuit. Um, you've got volume, tone, and bass. You don't even have mid control. You have reverb. It's obviously a, a digital reverb because they've got the reverb depth and rate. You wouldn't have that if you had a spring or a. And they're not even trying to be a spring because you wouldn't have depth and rate. Um, and then they've got a tremolo, depth, which you have no control of. De- depth and rate is, depth and rate is control of the trim. Of what? The, trim. the tremolo. Oh, that's over the tremolo? Yeah. Okay. So then the reverb is always is not, I don't know. So all I know is that, it, I don't know, it, you got depth and rate. Is it um, level then? No, is depth, and rate, what, is what, depth and rate is what you get on no, 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 I, Oh, I know, on a tremolo, but I'm just saying. That yeah, your reverb is a reverb level. That's just like a Fender amp. Just a level, yeah. yeah. So the tremolo is either on or off. You got a depth and rate, and then you've got yeah. the reverb. It's the same control as you get on an Alexa reverb. Literally identical. Yeah. yeah. But it's and a pedal. Yep. And it's a pedal, exactly. But it's supposed to be an amp. It's got no, um, uh, you can't compare this to the Blue um, Amp 1. You just can't. It's not in the same. You don't get four it's channels. It's not even you don't have four channels. No boost. You don't have a. You don't have a boost. You don't I have would, discrete control because you can control individual tone above the shared tone. Right. Um, you don't have that. You don't have the um, the volume equalization on the side, and um, you don't have an effects loop. I would compare it to the Sansamp fly rig, only that has to go through a powered PA. Right. But right. if I had to choose between that seven hundred dollar amp pedal in my sans amp fly rig where all i have to do is go direct into a pa without a di or anything i'm taking the fly rig every single time so nick are you familiar with the the uh blue guitar amp one uh no all right so after this episode's done you should check out our our interview with thomas blue um so i met him at gear fest and we, we talked about gear fest in private messages and whatnot um i met him there and then we had him on the show 
and we looked at his product. And both Jim and I okay. are compelled enough that we like Jim actually bought one so far. I'm in the middle of year of no gear, so I have to wait until Gear Fest next year, and then I can and then I can buy one. And I just saw screenshots of it. It looks pretty cool. It's got different voicings for modern and clean. It's and crazy. And that's but pretty cool. He used to work for Hughes and Kettner. Okay. Okay. He was the guy that designed the Triumph. Okay. Yeah, and, very cool. Um, also, and the red DI. He's yeah. He's designed pretty much all the uh, the that's very, red very boxes. Nice, the red box. Yeah. Well, they, it's got a red box built into it. The, the very cool. Blue, it's not a red box, but he's got an output. And but then it's he, his technology. He has yeah. a whole other yeah. like line of products, and I just threw my uh, my catalog from him away. But he's got um, amp one, and then he's got the blue box, which is a an impulse response speaker modeler that yeah, with is 16, integrated with it. Yeah. He yeah, has a, sixteen. He has a loop switcher that goes with this thing that allows you to actually like put pedals in the loop, but also to control like additional functions in the amp. Um, it's MIDI capable. I mean, this thing is a this thing is whole hog. It's only eight hundred bucks. Like the the actual amp one is only eight hundred bucks, and it's a hundred watts, yeah. and it's and it sounds and feels like a real tube amp. Um, and you got to plug it. In, you got to plug it into speakers though. No, you can actually just use direct out, direct out, and keep it unplugged from speakers if you want. Okay. So you have the yep. option to do both. Yeah, it will work no load. Yep. When I when I spend eight hundred bucks on something that sits on the floor, I tend to twitch a little bit. I I waited two years to get an Analog Man King of Tone pedal, and when I got it, I was like, "This is it." I mean, it sounded really <laughs> good, it sounded really throaty. Yeah, it was an awesome overdrive pedal, but when it came time to go to a gig. It wasn't like, all right, I can't live without this King of Tone pedal. So I ended up selling it, and I became one of the many that ended up getting a profit on it. And it it wasn't wasn't very good, but at the same time, I just you know I, I sold it. If I'm going to spend eight hundred dollars, better be on my shoulder or it's going to be behind me. Was, you guys there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, we just. I was hoping because you mentioned Analog Man. Everybody still here? Jim, did we lose you? I'm I'm seeing a spinning thing right now. But yes, I'm so still am I. Here. Jim, you still here? Yeah, I'm still here. All Can right, you hear me? Cool. Okay. We're all good. We're all good. Sorry, sorry, YouTube. Um, I was hoping that this was something. It's not. Uh, I there was a box on the floor. I just got a Sunface Analog Man Sunface, right? Yeah. And my my impression of that was completely the opposite of the King of Tone. I'm in line for the King of Tone. I'm expecting to get the the uh, order notice any day. Um, like in the next week or two and i got the the uh, sun face and jim will tell you like it redefined how i'm doing things is it a um, fuzz what, what is oh yeah no the, the sun face is their fuzz face clone right okay and it is it is the voice of god he honestly knows how to pick transistors unlike anybody i've ever dealt with um and i've done video demos of it and stuff now since since then and it's just i'm still like my my jaw is still dropped on every time I, every single time I plug into that thing. Um, and yeah, I totally get it. I've had, dude, I had an ethos overdrive, $650 overdrive pedal, right? I don't have yeah. it anymore. Okay. <laughs> Let's, it's, it got sold. <laughs> um, I have, I do have the Helix, you know, it's, it's a utility item. Uh, I'm not particularly invested in it one way or the other. It's a utility item. Um, I totally get the fear of having that much money on your on your board in front of you. Um, the thing with the with the uh, amp one that I should point out that thing has a uh, has a uh, arch in the bottom of it, and the reason for that is it can sit on top of your amp 
your combo amp with a handle. It is oh, me- okay. it is meant to be used yeah. in any configuration you could possibly want to be in. I and mean, you he can use a regular. Yeah, you can use a regular foot switch, or if you have a MIDI foot switch, you can use that to control it. So you don't have to buy his foot switch. His foot switch has a couple of little features on it that you might like, but if you have a MIDI controller or you have a um, regular two button foot switch, you're done. Yeah, you can use that. He's he's so, been complete- oh, I'm using my Marshall foot switch. I love that genius, you know, invention stuff. And if it turns people on, that's that's great. I mean, it sounds like he's got he's really onto something. That's so, really cool. So in Europe, a lot of people are using this thing. Here in the states, nobody. And the only person, the only famous like endorsee that I know of from the states is Jennifer Batten. Um, and I honestly, if he'd done this in a rack unit, people would have bought it. People would be buying it right now. Um, it's because of that whole floorboard concept. Like, well, I'm going to be stepping on this, and like, well, I really I, want my board at my feet. I think there are people gravitating towards that. That's why the milkman exists, right? Um, it's only a matter of time before we're all looking at this stuff. But this is a fly rig tool. That's what this is for. This is for mm-hmm. the guy that's got to fly in and. He's hoping to hell they got a Fender twin behind him, but he shows up and there's a plexi. And he's like, what am I going to do now? You know, or yeah, vice versa. When you yeah. think about it, yeah, that's what he's going for. And he's going for that um, that person that wants to put everything into one guitar bag. Mm-hmm. Yep. I mean, that's what he, he admitted. He can he can fly to the States and do a, um, a gig, which this guy does do. And um, uh, he can do it all with um, his, his regular, um, his his cabinet will fit into the bottom of his luggage overhead luggage man he's got a, he's got the, a cab called the nano cab it's like 14 by 13 by like 8 or 10 and it sounds like the best 1 by 12 cabinet you've ever heard in your life hmm. <laughs> i don't know how he did it it's a bold statement i don't know how he did it it's yeah. got well no it's got so it's it's ported and he actually so he showed us his prototype in the in the video of how he actually designed this thing where he was actually like picking speakers and, and had a prototype that had an adjustable front baffle so he could actually play with the depth and the porting and everything. And that's how he got it to where he wanted it. And the guy's a scientist. Like when you see how he designs this crap, you're just like, Holy God, like (laughs) another level. (laughs) Yeah. There's, there's a venue in Detroit called the band shell and it's where the MC five used to play all the time. And it's this, it's this like cement, half cut out dome thing that's like all cements but it it was designed by people who are audio engineer architecture people and when you play when you when you play an acoustic in there just it can you can hear it from 200 yards away crystal clear it's like the people that know science can make things acoustically or audio wise that will just blow your mind now we didn't get this in our interview with with blue but i've seen some other video because i've been researching the the amp one and he actually was so when he was a kid, before he ever picked up a guitar, he was building audio stuff, like, you know, electronically as an engineer. Like, he's like eight or nine years old with a soldering iron. That's just beyond me. So that's why he is where he is right now. And actually, he's a, you 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 won't know this until you see the thing, but he's like a really well-regarded guitar player, too. Go figure. So That helps. Remember when Kirk Hammett said he was the only guitar player making pedals? <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yes. And now he's and making where, where? The, now he's making the pussy melter. Is he the KHDK or whatever that company is actually making the pussy melter? They did finally Man. come out and admit it. 
even know. I don't even know. All right. I guess at, at the end of the day, I just don't think I'm a pedal person. I mean, I try. I mean, I've got I've got the 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 TS808 hand wired. I've got the Wazacraft Blues driver. I've got the um the old early '90s um Marshall uh uh not the Blues Breaker, but the other the the Governor pedal. Yeah, yeah. And it's like the Marshall and a pedal, and it, they all sound really good. But when I go to a gig, all I need is my guitar and my amp. There's a lot of people like you and there's a lot, I mean, I'm somewhere in the middle. Like most of the guys I know, they want, you know, pedal train trio or the, the pedal train pro, like completely loaded out. Like, not me. I honestly, I just need like a fuzz and I need like a wah and a tuner pedal and I'll be completely happy. Analog man's really good. Would you, would you, if I, cause I, I, tried different fuzz pedals and i couldn't get behind them i, I even got that monterey pedal that has the keely monterey the, yeah yeah i've got the keely monterey and it just did not inspire me so do you think i should sell that and get the analog man what do you want what are you wanting to do with it are you looking for like hendrix tones or are you looking for like what bands are you into um i guess i just never had a fuzz that i really liked uh and I, i'm just looking for one that i can use with les pauls one i can use with with strats maybe look into he makes a pedal called the astrotone um maybe look into that and for most people who who are kind of in your boat i'm like i'm immediately gravitating towards get a muff because for for most people and i'm not meaning like an actual ehx big muff but like look at clones like framtone and companies like that but like for most people a muff is going to give them, it's going to be close enough to an amp. It's not going to drive them insane, but it's going to give you those fuzzy tones. Whereas for me, I'm, I am dyed in the wool fuzz face like for life. And it's because I need that interaction with the volume knob so much. Like that is, it is a core part of what I do. When I play a fuzz face, I roll the volume knob back to get clean. And I use that as a boost to drive the mm-hmm. amp. And awesome. That's that's what I do, and so for that for that, and then the other thing, my pickups um, and, and my guitars for the S five hundreds, they have a passive treble and bass control, so they have a bass roll off, and I dial that back just so slightly so it doesn't saturate the pedal, and it just comes to life. Uh, honestly, that's why um, the the fuzz face that he makes is probably one of the best because it has a trimmer on the inside, so you can, let's say you don't like the sound of your pickups turned to ten running through that, you can actually go inside and you can hit this trimmer. And adjust it so it's like turning the volume knob down on your guitar permanently. So when you engage it, it doesn't matter where your volume's at on your guitar, you're going to get 10. Yeah, it always puzzles me when people say they just run their, their tones and their volumes on 10 because you're missing out on half of the tone of, of, yeah. your, of your rig. Well, I, think, I, always, I, think so I many, always tell people... Go ahead. Uh, no, I think so many pedals are dependent <laughs> on the idea that you're going to run full out. You know, they don't, they don't, you don't get those characteristic adjustments that you get um, like if you're going straight into a good amp or if you're, you know what I mean? Like, and so if you're doing high gain, especially you're not going to get it to clean up in most cases. Now my Mark five, I, I run a Mark five. I run on the, on the, uh, two C clean or the two C channel on the, the gain channel. Most of the time I can get that to clean up. I never run my gain r- past probably one o'clock. I mean, it's, it's usually dialed way back. I mean, I looked at the other day and I was running it like 10 or 10 30. I mean, it's, it's, back there and because of that i can i can get away with a lot more um as far as the cleanup goes but it's just the style of gear that's changed like if you're more into the vintage stuff or doing it the way they used to do you are not gonna be able to 
you know, you're going to be able to get those tones with the the volume control and the tr- the tone controls. That's why I rip all my my Gibson wiring out and go right to the '50s wiring. I don't even screw around with it because the way I play and what I do, that's what I want. Um, but yeah, so whatever you're going to say, let's uh, let's do it. <laughs> yeah, like well, with with stacking pedals, you know, like let's say you got a king of tone and a tube screamer, you can't pile those on when you're on ten full out. You have to be rolled back a little bit, otherwise it's going to squeal and not not sound good. But um, I I've I've probably met Joe Bonamassa about a dozen times and everybody thinks that he's the, uh, you know, the, the secretary of blues or whatever they call him now, but because he kind of looks like a, like a tax man, but um, uh-huh. he's, he, he's a super nice guy. And I've, I've been seeing him since the early two thousands. And um, I've talked to him a lot about, I and mean, he used to be able to answer emails and all this other stuff, but he's very, if you asked him a question, he would answer it. Mm-hmm. And, um, he would always say to like put your your tone on five, your volumes on five, and then adjust your amp to taste. And if you had two guitar players in the same band and you were always turning up and the other guy would turn up and you would turn up, it's not good to turn up the master. It's good to turn up the mids. Right. So the, the mids yeah. will cut you through the mix and use your volume to get more gain and you'd use your tone on your guitar to get to get more bright. So once you figure that that out, you're ahead of the game because everybody else is running their shit on ten and they don't have anywhere to go. You're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. I can't I can't dispute that in the least. In fact, um I my my personal perspective is the reason why some of these amps from the years of your like like the sixty eight plexis and those things have those like um lineages associated with them is because they have so much mids. When they started making amps that like really just scooped out everything around 750 hertz, that's when they killed it. Like that's when you know, it you know, for lack of a better word, they they people started getting into pedals and stuff because they wanted to put well, the mids back. What's the first thing you do with a deluxe or with a with a dual rectifier? Right, guy gets it, turns the gain up to ten, puts a tube screamer in front of it, puts his mids yeah. right back in. <laughs> Well, even your guy that um, says that, you know, all guitars sound the same because of all the pedals and compressors and processors he uses, you know, once you once you get the seven string guitars and you're tuning down all that stuff, you're actually invading the space of the bass player. You're you're infringing on those frequencies and you're you're missing the part of the frequencies that the guitar should be owning. And you're abandoning that part of the EQ uh, in a band like you're responsible for that upper mid area and the bass is responsible for the low like you know what i mean from you're building it from drums to bass to rhythm guitar lead guitar to vocal and if you're if you're going too low with it now you you might as well just be a bass player i i think so i i i tend to agree with you with your line of thinking i do so i've seen bands like like gojira is a good example they use i think they're using seven strings they're using seven strings or it's or it's baritones um Mm. and what they do is they run an amp that the mids just pumped up. Like they're, they're putting all that frequency content back in, but they're, and I don't necessarily understand the logic behind down tuning at that point. Um, but like that, that's, you, you hear these bands that are doing that and you're going, how are they not stepping on the bass player? Well, it's cause they're dialing it. They're dialing it in, in a very specific way to make that happen. And I don't really hear a distinct difference in tone from doing that. It's just them, you know, 
I want to play lower, I guess. I don't, there's probably some logic to it. I, I just don't know what it is. I will say as a vocalist in a tribute band, I've got to sing uh, for two hours. And um, I think Kiss tuned down. When they tour, they tuned down a full step instead of a half step. So we've been doing. Less longer. I can sing better. It's less strain on my voice. So for me, tuning down isn't just to sound like heavy metal. It's it's to actually be able to preserve my voice. Mm-hmm. So I think that Metallica started tuning down too. They used to be in 440A in the early 90s, but I think in the mid 90s they tuned down a half step. Now they might be down a full step. Yeah, and I think that's I'm sure. I think that's a lot of it I'll is that more. even Van Halen was doing that like they were playing half step down because David Lee Roth couldn't he couldn't sustain a whole set easily and yeah. standard. Um so yeah, I mean I get it. All right. Well, we're hitting an hour and 30, guys. I think it's time to, yep. to wrap this bad boy up. Does anybody have anything they want to add? Um, speak now, forever. Hold your peace. Well, thanks for having me. I, I think this was this was great. I mean, you guys have an awesome podcast, and I hope that more listeners come because if, if they're not, they're missing out. But it's a pleasure to be here. Uh, we, we really appreciate you coming on the show. You're always welcome. If you have new products coming out or anything like that that you want to promote, uh, if you've got new b- gigs and stuff like that, you're always welcome to promote them in the group and or on the show. Just, uh, or if you want to just, us. yeah, or if you just want to join us as a uh, a technical expert and say, hey, yeah. you guys, you're morons, you're you're saying it all wrong. If we have <laughs> if we have more pickup <laughs> questions, we might invite you back on. Oh, Believe definitely. So. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And and it's yeah, painless, and it's- right? You don't have to do any of the editing. That's the only reason it's painless. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. All right, guys. Uh, I have been David. I have been Jim. And I'm still Nick. And we have been the Practical Guitarists. And...